Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim GK. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, we're going to talk about the GSA schedule what is the GSA schedule and what it really is about? Um, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to take a commercial break, and we'll go ahead and start the show. You're listening to The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours, and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Welcome back. The GSA schedule uh, is a, by definition, is the independent agency of the United States government established uh, in 1949 to help manage and support the basic function functioning of a government agency. GSA supplies products and communication for U.S. government offices, provides transportation, office space to federal employees, and develop government-wide cost-minimizing policies and manage other tasks. Pretty much, the GSA is a buyer, uh, as a, a, a preliminary buyer of the United States. This agency is actually does all the solicitation and buying for uh, the federal government. Uh, agencies actually contract GSA to go do those things. So you can go go things on the open bid on uh, federal biz laws, but GSA is a prime contractor. They only do with people who actually went through the screening process, who they think is deserving to be a uh, instant buyer who is credible. And basically, if you have a uh, GSA contract, some people would tell you, you, I mean, you have it made. As long as you sell things, I mean, you have to sell at least $25,000 uh, in a two-year period. If not, you can lose that contract. But there's a formal agreement that you already made with your prices, 
And any agency within that government who wants to use GSA can pick up the phone and buy whatever because the price has already been negotiated. And the payment is pretty quick as well. So they're authorized to pay whatever that dollar amount is on that particular contract for that particular item. It's already approved and negotiated. So, again, this is a series of uh, shows that we recorded uh, some time ago. And I thought, hey, let's go ahead and use this for the sh uh, show topic for the next couple of weeks in dealing with the government. So, again, this is uh, first we're going to talk about understanding the GSA. One point regarding what you put up on GSA Advantage, you can put a lot of marketing stuff around your price list so that as they go through and they're looking for, it, it, it takes you one time to do that, you know, and, and get your price list looking really good. And then when the, when the contracting officer is going looking for those other two guys when they've decided they want to make a buy, if they come across a really great-looking uh, price list, on there, that could influence them to select you to be one of those three, and then you get a chance to be in that competition. And it's not a big thing to do. Uh, you take normally you would take no, your normal marketing materials anyway, and you position them around your uh, price list. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, uh, GSA furnishes you some uh, software to do that, and it's very difficult to use. It's really very difficult to use. So there's people out and available in the marketplace that'll do that for you at a very reasonable price. We deal with one guy that I think he charges $300 or something to pretty up your uh, your price list and do it exactly the way it's going to knock somebody's eyes out when it comes up. So the advantage to the customers we already talked about. You've already been evaluated. So they don't have to go through the evaluation process. They can issue an order and they can expect that you're going to perform it. See, when GSA puts you on a schedule, they're saying to all of their customers within the government, I've looked at this guy, I've assessed his financial capability, I've looked at what he's done in the past, and he can do the things that he says he can do under this contract. Now, they, they, they dearly do not want somebody from the Navy, for instance, to come back and say, wait a minute, I went to your GSA schedule contractor, and he totally screwed up the whole thing. He couldn't do the work. He didn't have the people. But He went bankrupt six months into the program. So they're very careful to go through and look at the capabilities that you're presenting to make sure that they don't get embarrassed when you go under. And their, their internal government customer comes back and says, hey, you really screwed me up on this. Everything's been negotiated. The advantage is, again, 15 days versus 268 days. They don't have to worry about uh, the competition. You know, when you put out an RFP, anybody can get a copy of that. 
So the government may say, well, I've got three or four people out here that I think uh, I'd like to deal with in response to this RFP. They may get 30 or 40 bids. Well, now you have to deal with those bids. In an RFP situation, you have to evaluate them. You can't dis discard them willy-nilly. You have to evaluate them. You have to come down to the acceptable bidders. And that's why you get up to that 268 days. This sidesteps all of that. You don't need to go through that process. You can put out a solicitation to three bidders, three people that have GSA schedules. So we talked yesterday about the fact that these, are, these orders are by definition competitive. Key area. There's a distinction made between GWACs and, and the schedules. Under GWACs, the, uh, the buying activity has to pay a fee to the uh, agency that owns the GWAC. Now, under a GSA schedule, the contractor has to pay a what's called an industrial funding fee back to GSA. And, and uh, that funding fee used to be 1%. Uh, they, they took in too much money. And so they reduced it now to 0.75%. Uh, now, that's a difference uh, without distinction because when you, when you put your prices into GSA, you add that industrial funding fee to your price. So the agency that buys your services or your products is paying that fee. They just don't realize it because it's buried in the price. Uh, and so it makes it more acceptable, apparently. Also, very often, uh, you'll get a customer that will come to you and say, look, the prices in your schedule are based on somebody buying a quantity of one. Well, I want to buy a quantity of a thousand. So I think I should get a better price. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be buying those quantities of a thousand over the next two years. And so I'd like to have a better price based on that. Well, you can come enter into what's called a BPA. Blanket purchase agreement. And you can give them a better price based on that projection. Now, there's no guarantee they're going to buy that thousand. So you're taking a risk by giving them that better price based on this anticipated quantity. But there's no guarantee they're going to buy that. Uh, and, and what happens is if they don't buy it, you know, they may get close and so on, but if, they do, if, it, if it never materializes, the next time they come to you and say, gee, I'm going to buy a 1,000 over a couple of years, you say, you know, I've heard that before. Maybe you don't give them the same uh, discount the next time. So it's a learning process, again. And you're not going to find that many times when they're not going to buy the quantities that they had anticipated. Because generally these are based on budget projections and so on. And, and you can even, in uh, verifying what, how good you think their projections are, go into the budget of that particular agency and to see what's projected and satisfy yourself that they're gonna, it's going to happen. I, I used to deal with Teletype Corporation years ago, before the days of, of personal computers and everything, and, and everybody in the service was buying Teletypes. Well, the Teletype Corporation was, a very, was essentially a sole source. They had the finest uh, Teletype machines to, in, in the world. And so they would come to the Navy. I was working for the Navy at the time, and they would say, okay, we're setting up our schedule for uh, next year, our production schedule, how many would you like? How many do you anticipate you're going to be needing? Well, at that point, you maybe couldn't make a, a contractual commitment because we didn't have the funds yet for that year. But we would project and we'd say, okay, we're going to need 150-year teletypes. Fine. That would go into the, the projections that Teletype Corporation would, would use to start their production. And so they'd come in with their, 
we would then go out uh, the following year with a solicitation to Teletech Corporation and say, you know, give us a quote for 150 of these. And so you'd get a quote back, and we would then prepare a contract and shoot the contract out. Every time that we did that, Teletype would come back with exceptions to the contract. They would always take exceptions, always take exceptions. So after about the third year of that, I sat down and I went through every possible prior exception that they had taken. And I wrote that contract taking into account every one of those prior exceptions. <laughs> Came back with an exception. They took, <laughs> they took exception to the authority that we had cited on the contract page, the authority to negotiate rather than have formal advertising. And they said, we have no way of knowing whether or not you did that correctly. <laughs> I called the representative and I said, if you ever want this contract, <laughs> if you ever want this contract, get that letter out of there. We are not going to uh, assess whether or not you know whether or not we did our internal uh, job correctly. That's why I say you, you, you have no way of knowing. You have no way of knowing whether or not the buyer broke that stuff up illegally. You have to assume that the buyer did his job correctly. The buyer is following the regulations and so on. Instantly, that, I gave him three hours. <laughs> get, get a letter in here that, that says you're not taking any exception. It, it was fun being a buyer, I have to tell you. <laughs> you we, used to, we used to put out solicitations. And I, you know, I was a young kid. I was just out of the Marine Corps. Uh, <laughs> and so we would put out a solicitation. And we'd have an opening date, the Monday after Thanksgiving. <laughs> and so the first call would come in. Oh, yes, it's a Monday after Thanksgiving. We've got to work through the holiday, and we got to take people. I said, well, wait, nobody else is calling. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> And we always changed it. We, it, was always, it was always changed, and we would, you know, put it out where they didn't have a problem. But, you know, you have to have a little fun in those jobs, right? <laughs> but I say I was a young kid. I probably wouldn't do that today. <laughs> the services you can provide, I mean, uh, they kind of cover the... Uh, the gambit of everything that, that's uh, out there regarding professional services. Now, in Mary Sue's case, uh, she's going to be responding to a schedule that is issued by the, the Veterans Administration because she's in the medical field, and GSA has delegated the responsibility for the schedules in the medical field to the VA. It still looks like a, and sounds like and operates like a uh, GSA schedule, but it's a schedule issued by... Uh, the Veterans Administration. Products, I mean, you can drive a truck through all these things. You can buy anything on these schedules. Have a guy who uh, has a proposal in to provide furniture for dormitories or uh, a squad base, you know, as they, as they used to be called. He had a problem in that he had never charged his services uh, separate from the furniture that he was providing. Uh, if there's any design services and so on, he just rolled that into the price of the job that he was doing. And so now he's trying to sell services uh, separate from the, the furniture. Well, we had a heck of a time getting uh, to an agreement with uh, GSA as to how we were going to support that he had sold those services in the commercial marketplace. 
because he'd sold them to colleges and universities and so on as part of this big package. So we finally got them to agree that we could impute the <laughs> the amount that he charged. He had he had invoices that said I delivered a certain amount of furniture, and I had provided services as part of that package. But nowhere was there any indication of what the price was for those services. So they allowed us to go back and and create what the price would have been had he been required to bill it that way. Because he obviously was providing the services, and he had, had them packed up in this fixed price. And so they've allowed us to do that. It was an interesting negotiation. When I do a schedule for somebody... I have them put me in this, the response as the authorized negotiator. So when the calls come, the contracting officer is going to call me rather than the bidder. And then I coordinate with the bidder and, and we get a response back. The key things about these schedules, they're based on commercial price lists, they're based on commercial prices. And you have to have established that you've sold these items in the general, to the general public uh, at the prices that you're uh, presenting. One of the things you have to do when you're responding to these schedules is you have to disclose how you discount. And there's a form in the uh, solicitation, and we'll have a few more words about that too. You have to disclose how you discount. I had one company came to me after the fact. They were a company located in Florida. They had a security product that they had developed in a garage down in Florida, uh, dealing with fingerprints uh, and so on. And they had gotten a GSA schedule, uh, an 84 schedule. All these schedules have numbers. And it, that schedule was for uh, security equipment. Well, that, they had a couple of problems. Number one, that schedule uh, is only usable by the federal government. And they wanted to be able to go out to uh, state and local sheriff's departments, police departments, and so on, and sell these products. And having a schedule that will allow them to do that would have been a great advantage. They also, since they had started out a couple of years before, they had started to get some good press. And so they had, they had uh, prime contractors wanting to come and buy their stuff and then resell it. And they, were, they had a problem because in the 84 schedule, they hadn't disclosed any discounting practices because they didn't have any at the time they got the schedule. They were a small little company. So they couldn't respond to these requirements for reselling because they would have had to then reduce their price in the GSA schedule to reflect that. But I had a solution for them. Okay, what we'll do is, because this device operates with a computer, which you sell with the device, we'll get you on an IT70 schedule, which is for, for computer equipment, and the fingerprint stuff will become an I.O. device to that computer. So we submitted the proposal that way, and when we submitted that proposal, we submitted it with all the discounting schedules that they were going to use, all the resellers and anybody else, that they, the, whether it be a uh, nonprofit organization or all the people that might get a discount. We put that in there. The key behind that was that you can't have the same product on more than one schedule. So in each schedule has a provision that the scheduled holder, as well as the government, can cancel within 30 days. So we notified the government that we were going to cancel the original schedule, the 84 schedule, on the day that the IT70 schedule got signed. And they said, fine. 
So we got them out of that problem, and now anybody in the country, any government location, any government level in the country can buy off that IT-70 schedule. That's the only schedule that's usable by any government entity within the country, right down to the school boards. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. So there are ways of working the, uh, uh, the system, but if you attempt to discount to somebody differently than you disclose to the government, you're going to have a problem because you're going to have to go back and tell GSA that you did that, and you're going to have to change the price in your GSA schedule. One of the, one of the uh, interesting points in the schedule is this uh, maximum order limitation. In most schedules, that's going to be about $500,000, which says that if the government were to issue you an order for more than $500,000, you don't have to accept it. But you can accept it if you want to. Okay, and there's two things that revolve around that, two key items. The government, if they're going to issue you one more than 500000 are undoubtedly going to come and ask you for a better price. Undoubtedly. The, uh, the regulations encourage that, encourage a buyer to say, if you're going to go over, over the maximum order limitation, get a better price. No problem. I mean, you can say yes or no, because you do not have to accept that order. So you can decide, yeah, I'll give you a better price, and I'll have to accept the order. Another key thing about that is that if you get a commercial order over that maximum order limitation at a better price than you had disclosed in your uh, disclosure when you made the proposal, that does not trigger the price reduction clause because that's a big enough order in the government's mind that they should not hold you to those uh, prior uh, uh, restrictions. So if you get an order for a million dollars, and it's fixed price and so on, then there's no price reduction exercised by the contract if you've given a better uh, discount on that million-dollar order. They recognize that you're in the commercial marketplace, and you're going to get some big orders, and, and that they are trying to buy ones and twos. So they recognize that, you know, what the realities of business are. Again, we talk about uh, the three companies uh, when you're over $100,000 under full and open competition whether it be an IFB or an RFP, those have to be posted. We used to use the term, they have to be synopsized. But that's, uh, the Fed BizOps has uh, taken the place of the old, uh, what they used to call it? the Commerce Business Daily, yeah. Commerce Business Daily was the Bible. Everybody had that on their desk, you know, checked it every day and so on. Uh, that's been replaced now by uh, Fed BizOps, and it's available online and it's updated daily. So every procurement that's going to go out on full and open competition is synopsized on that uh, on FedBizOps, and it gives you all the all the necessary data that you need to contact the agency. It gives you the names, the, the telephone numbers, and so on of, of who to contact in the agency regarding that procurement. We talked about some of the registrations uh, that you have to go through, uh, and we talked about that the prices that are going to be in your schedule are going to be based on your commercial price list. Now, these do not have to be a price list that's published uh, and you know and printed and, and distributed around the world, but they have to be established, and they have to be in a in a form that can be uh, 
a data file. They have to be in a form that, that uh, you refer to when someone comes in to get a quote from you, that you go to that file and you get the price that you're going to quote to them. And the government's going to come in and one of the audits is going to be, where's your commercial price list? One of the key items is this sales marketing organization. We talked yesterday about you have to, your organization has to be able to perform under, under having a GSA schedule. And the key item there is that if you have marketing folks who are out making quotes to customers, they have to know what the, what the uh, requirements are in your contract. They have to know that you have an established price list. They have to know that you have a, a, a set of prices that have been disclosed that are in your GSA schedule. And they can't go out willy-nilly and make discounts to uh, customers. Uh, because if they do that, and then, of course, the, the auditor comes in and finds that you've charged uh, XYZ company down the road a price cheaper than the government price, and it was less than $500,000, less than the maximum order of the case, they're going to exercise the price reduction clause. And all your prices are going to be reduced down to that price for that item. And they're going to ding you. The sales tracking. These people that are out there selling, that has to be a central database at some point in your business because you've got to pay the, the industrial funding fee based on those sales. So you have to have a database that will withstand audit when the guy comes in to check it. So there has to be a central database that shows that uh, what your sales are. Contract administration, there's basic items of contract administration. You have to keep a contract file. You have to keep all the amendments with that contract. Have to be kept up, up to date. All of the orders that come in have to be kept separate from each other so that they, they're individually auditable. So you have to set up a filing system that will accommodate that. You know, on a, on a very, very small company, you know, that's a filing cabinet drawer and you just set up the separate files. As you get more business and you get a little larger, you're probably going to want a, a, a software-based filing system to keep track of this stuff. Physically, you've got to still file them, but you want to have another database that allows you to get to them quickly. When you're going to get ready to, to uh, submit your proposal, all you do is go to GSA in the solicitations website and download the solicitation you want. Now, it's going to come down, uh, you know, as a pretty good-sized document. It comes down, uh, you know, 150, 200 pages. Some of them are up to 1,000 pages, but they have a lot of, a lot of items listed in them. And the instructions, you have to follow the instructions quite precisely to submit your proposal. And you have to read the instructions that are in the uh, solicitation carefully to make sure that you've submitted. Some say submit your proposal in one binder and with the following sections, and, and some others will say submit it in three, sec three binders with the following sections. And, uh, they have page limitations for each of the sections. And so you just have to pull out those detailed instructions and make sure that whoever is putting the proposal together reads those instructions and follows those instructions, and then you do a final audit before it goes in to make sure that it's, uh, it has followed all of the, uh, the guidelines. If you haven't followed the instructions, they may just reject you. Now, if it's a minor thing, they may call you and say, hey, you didn't do so-and-so. You know, fix that for me. But if, if it's a major thing, they say, hey, your proposal is rejected. Also, you can submit these proposals electronically. You can submit them either uh, via uh, email or you can put them on a disk and, and submit them. I prefer to use the disk because I have to submit the signature page anyway. 
So why not submit the disk with that signature page? I guess I'm of a different generation. I'm not so much. I want all that stuff out there on the internet. Uh, that that uh, I don't know how secure that is, you know. So anyway, I, I submit it with a disk and a uh, signed cover page. But you can you can certainly do it with uh, the web. Here's the web page you go to, and it's it's in your it's in your uh, uh, manual. So it gives the the uh, the web location up there. And here's the if we could page this down, you'd see it would go all the way down to all of the solicitations that GSA has. The first one here is uh, financial business solutions, FABs. And in order to get the solicitation, it, it, it gives you a lot of information. It tells you the contracting officer that's responsible for that solicitation. So if you go through the solicitation and you have questions, email that person, and they're very responsive. They come right back to you with responses. Give you a phone number and the uh, email address, and you, you click on here, and down comes the schedule. It takes a few minutes to, <laughs> to download normally because they're pretty big, but uh, it's, a, it's an easy thing to get. And they, it comes down in such a manner that you can enter data right on the screen. So when you do a, a GSA schedule for products, you have to have an established price, price list for those products. Product list. You have to establish what your delivery schedule is going to be. And then if you don't deliver on that schedule, you're going to get dinged. If you're not a manufacturer, but you're selling a, uh, a product from a distributor or from the manufacturer, you must have a letter of commitment or letter of supply from that manufacturer. Again, the, the government has a requirement to tell its customers that when you place an order for 10 of this product, he's got access to those products, and he can deliver those 10 items. The basis for that is the letter of supply that the manufacturer has committed that he will honor your orders that you're going to get out of, these, out of the schedule. In many of these items, the government's going to want a maintenance plan. If you're selling uh, printers, printing equipment, the government's going to want some indication that you have an arrangement set up nationwide to maintain that stuff uh, when a maintenance order comes in or a, uh, a warranty uh, provision occurs. So there's maintenance organizations out there that you can contact to do this, and you just, you just make an arrangement with them, and you have a pricing arrangement and so on, and that's priced into your into your uh, product. But they're going to want to see that. The government's going to want to see that. They want to see who is the company that's going to do the maintenance. Where are they located? What are their phone numbers? What kind of response do they have? That's all got to be in your in your maintenance plan. If you're a manufacturer and you you uh, uh, deal with dealers or resellers, you need to spell that out. They need to know what functions these people are going to provide. In many cases, a reseller or a dealer may provide some of the maintenance or repair function. So you need to have that, you need to have that spelled out if you're a manufacturer. With services, you have to have at least three previous projects described that uh, are the same type of projects that you would anticipate getting under the schedule. And those descriptions uh, have to include the name of the project, the contract that it was under, whether it was a government contract or it was a commercial project, the name of the technical contact within that organization who can uh, comment on your performance, 
uh, the name of the contracting officer, the buyer contracting officer, the period that the project occurred, period of performance. And the reason for all that is they're going to go to those people, uh, as they did in that one case I told you about. Uh, they went to one of those guys, and he said, I don't know who you're talking about. I've never done any business with them. On the uh, customer references, you don't actually have to have 20. You have to have at least six, though. And the more you have, if you had only six, and you had one bad one in there, well, your score is going to be skewed by that one bad one because you only had six to uh, base it on. If you had 18 or 20 and you had one bad one, you're still going to have a score up in the high 90s. The references have to reflect each of the line item numbers that you're bidding. They, they call them SINs, special item numbers. If, you have, if you're responding to three SINs, you have to have then nine references. Now, in, in many cases, a single reference can apply to both because in many cases the, uh, the, the requirements of the services and those SINs are going to overlap. And so you could have one reference that would apply to more than one special item number. But you must have three references for each special item number. That's to say you can, they can overlap. Under the services, you have to have established labor categories. And you have to have a description of those labor categories. You have to show what the education requirements are in order to be a, in order to be a senior engineer, for instance. You have to describe what a senior engineer in your estimation does what kind of uh, duties they perform, what kind of educational requirements they had in order, to, in order to get that designation, how many years of experience do they have in order to get that designation. And the reason for that is that when a buyer comes to look at that list and they look at senior engineer and you're charging $100 an hour, somebody else has a senior engineer and they're charging $80 an hour. They want to be able to compare the, the educational requirements, the experience requirements, and so on, uh, to be able to determine whether or not it's worthwhile going at, and paying the $100 an hour. So they use it for comparison purposes. They also use it when they're reviewing your proposal. If you're charging $100 an hour and everybody else is charging $80, they come back and say, wait a minute, same, same education requirements, same experience requirements, doing the same things, why are you charging $100 an hour? I mean, I, I had somebody go in, and he was paying a subject matter expert. I mean, you know, these, these guys are uh, PhDs with 30 years' experience and so on. They were charging $450 an hour. And the contracting officer, you know, was saying, wait a minute, $450 an hour? That's crazy. Hey, here's the invoices show that the people are paying that. And in a case like that, you know, the, the subject matter expert on a particular project is not going to be working on that project every day. He's going to set the stage to start. He's going to do some uh, monitoring uh, halfway through, and then he's going to do the final, check the final report. So, yeah, he's going to pay him 450 bucks an hour, but he may only charge 10 hours to a project. And we were successful in the negotiation because, wait a minute, the customers are paying this in the commercial marketplace. So the, the marketplace set that rate. There's, a, there's going to be a narrative about the company. In that narrative, you're going to try to show what it is you do, why you're good at what you do, uh, how long you've been in business, what kind of specialty, what kind of uh, uh, specialties you've acquired, who your customer set is. If you're dealing with uh, colleges and universities, you want to put that in there as part of your customer set. And you want to put in some words about how you manage your people, 
there's a there's a very specific set of in the IT services a very specific set of criteria that you have to address in your proposal. There's normally a page limitation on that. Incidentally, you can't use I think more than uh, more than three pages in that in that section. So you're not going to write a book. Again, your schedule prices are going to be based on your commercial prices. You're going to add this industrial funding fee to your prices. Make sure it's make sure because one of the questions they're going to ask is, does this include the industrial funding fee? We already talked about the uh, maximum order limitation, and that's going to vary by schedule. And to most schedules, it's going to be 500,000. We talked about why that's important. for listening to the core business show with tim jacquet for a free quote on equipment leasing and financing visit our website applecapitalgroup.com that's applecapitalgroup.com and fill out the information to receive your free quote we hope you'll join us for our next episode and remember you can always get to the core via itunes you'll You'll find find all our previous previous episodes there thanks again for listening to the core business show with tim jacquet With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.